You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. There's a lot of things to cover today, and um, there's always a lot of heartburn, because at this point in time, all I've really done, aside from wake up and kind of procrastinate, get some coffee, finish watching a little bit of a YouTube video, which is hilarious, some slight, barely any procrastination, talking like 10 minutes. Anyways, that's really all I've done. I, I know that there's a lot to talk about. I know that there it is general PFF day. I know that there are a lot of really interesting insights into that. I know there's a lot of other news. There were a lot of other questions. So many things that I wanted to talk about. I don't know what's going to happen when I open up my notes <laughs> and see how many of those things got saved, what crazy order they're in. I'm remembering that I had kind of made a mental note. Just go on Twitter because I'm going to retweet a bunch of stuff that I want to talk about tomorrow. So there's that, but I don't really feel like it because that's a lot of, you know, just what am I just combing through my own? That's stupid. I'm basically my own secretary and I suck as a secretary. I mean, I suck at it. The laziest, most, if I could fire myself, I would do it. Even unpaid. Get out right now. You're, you're useless. So, I mean, I say that before I even open it up, so let's open it up and see what's in there. But I'm not feeling optimistic because I, I know me. Just being lazy. Just, I just open up Twitter. I'm just going to retweet it. There's your notes. There's your Twitter feed. And then there's also just that general panic because I know people ask me questions, but it was like, what were the questions? Where did they ask them? Was it on Twitter? Was it on Facebook? Was it on Patreon? Did they message the page? Did they send it to the phone number? Was it on Instagram? Was it a DM? Was it a tweet? Something I saw in the Facebook group. It's just, there's there's too much, man. There's just too much. Which is why I set up these notes so that I could take all that stuff and put it in one place. Except, I just wrote, here's one of my notes. Ready? The first note in my notes says, check Twitter. <laughs> oh, it's, I mean, there's so much to talk about. But the, the only thing that stinks is, uh, we're going to talk about a lot of things and then we're going to be done. And it's like, wow, I left out that pretty big bit of information. Anyways, I just thought I'd bring you in on how my days usually start. At least today is nice because there's so much to talk about. My biggest fear is missing out on a big topic, which happens all the time. Some days I wake up and there's not a lot of news, and there were like two or three things, and I can't find them. So, um, yeah, we're just going to rip through a whole bunch of stuff. We'll start with some bad news. There were a few injuries, and the injuries sound like they're relatively severe. Matt LaFleur mentioned that uh, we lost a few guys, including Billy Wynn, Jace Sternberger, Equinemius, and uh, you can add in Raven Green. I actually decided it would be easier to just go to J.J. Leahy's uh, Twitter because I retweeted so many nonsensical things yesterday, I buried my own notes. So that's how stupid I am. 
By the way, go follow JJ Leahy for sure. It's at JJ L-A-H-E-Y. Does a pretty good job of getting out uh, news and notes. So I've decided Packer-related news. Pretty much, uh, he's pretty much got you covered. So if you're bogged down with way too many people you're following, like you get the notifications for, you could probably just do JJ and then like Ian for NFL news and whatever other nonsense, whatever other nonsense you like. So those guys are out. And again, the preliminary news that I've heard, which at this point is more or less rumors, so I don't want to take it all too seriously. I don't know what this means, but it sounds like they're going to be out for a while. Uh, Raven Green is probably the most concerning on this list, although you could argue that, I guess. Billy Wynn has been relatively impressive, but in a kind of... He's been impressive in a way in which you have zero expectations, and he does stuff, and you just love him for that. Uh, Jay Sternberger, I'm going to save that because I want to talk about that. Uh, Equinemius has kind of popped up. I think the the biggest and most disappointing thing about uh, Jace and EQ is that we've been waiting to see them, but we haven't seen a lot of them because of injury, and they're injured again, and that gets to be really annoying. We kind of went through this with Kevin King, right? For three years we heard, well, when he's healthy, he's good, which was never really true. Not going to go back into that. But it was just he was always hurt, so that was always the out. Well, he just hasn't been healthy. Okay, but that doesn't make a person good. It just means they haven't played much, and you're using that as an excuse. So, waiting for the big breakout for EQ and Jace, and they're hurt again. So, hopefully, these are not um, injuries that are going to keep them out for a while. They both have concussions. Obviously, not advocating for rushing them back. They need to come back when they can come back. Not any sooner than that. But I'm just saying, for for their sake, more so than our sake, because, I mean, we're pretty good at wide receiver without EQ. We're pretty good at tight end right now without Jace, although I do like Jace. Again, I'm, I'm going to say that my uh, biggest... The biggest knock to our defense is going to be Raven Green. He's been very up and down, but at the very least, as I've said, I really like the energy and tenacity that he brings. So, um, on Jay, since we're here, just because we're sitting here, I had the ultimate uh, Mr. Negative come out and uh, trash me for supporting Jay Sternberg. I don't know. He, I mean, it's just, at this point, we're just having fun. We've, we've kind of made peace, and we just kind of like arguing over stuff. And, and it's kind of to the point, too, where he kind of makes me think about things, even though he's just being ridiculous. I think he's just being ridiculous. I don't know. Either that or he's really bad at arguing. I don't know. But he's coming at me about Jace and how Mr. Robert Tanyan, and that's just what I'm going to call him for now. I mean, I'll change it in five seconds. But I hate, I just hate saying Tanyan. I don't know why. It freaks me out. What is a different name that's neither of those two things? Big Bob? I mean, it's supposed to be Big Bob Tanyan, but, I, you know, that's the whole thing we're avoiding. We'll just, we'll try Big Big Bob, see how it goes. So his whole thing is that he's a top-tier tight end. We need to pay him. We need to retain him. And also, and, and again, this is kind of unrelated, but I'm not going to try to defend his train of thought for him, Jay Sternberger is a bust. The only reason I'm bringing it up, I'm not going to bring you the argument because it's not really interesting, but here's what I found to be interesting for those of you that really dislike Jay Sternberger. Also, for those of you who are obsessed with uh, Big Bob, the only reason I'm down on him, although he's he's doing a great job, no question, right? He's, he's breaking Packers records, which isn't that big of an accomplishment because Packers don't have very good tight ends like ever, but it's mostly just recency bias. Um, I've talked about Big Bob and how he's... I, I don't like that either. I don't like that. <sighs> Tanyan is weird and Tanyan is disrespectful. I don't know. I'm stuck, man. We should just cut him. We should cut him today. I can't handle the pressure. It's, it's similar to MVS, though. MVS is the guy, when he has a bad day, everybody trashes him. Although we don't do that with Tanyan. At least not yet. But when he has a big day, 
He's a freak. He's going to break out. This is a, He's going to just tear it up. He's going to tear up the league. He's going to tear it up. Right? And then all this just craziness comes out. Like, there are just people that love MVS and believe he's going to be the next Megatron. And when he has, like, 150 yards and two touchdowns, everybody, those people come out of the woodwork and are like, I told you, he's a freak. And then, they, you know, he just, he has, like, four bad days in a row and just, you don't hear anything anymore. Except for the MVS haters who come out when he has a drop and act like he's the worst human being on earth. I mean, people are just weird, and I feel like we're doing that with Tanyan, too. The guy disappears for four games, and he pops up and has, like, a touchdown, and it's like, dude, best tight end in football. But again, my, my main point here isn't to dog Mr. Tanyan, because he's fine. He's doing a decent, he's doing a good job. He's got a bunch of touchdowns, which is great. Just like Preston had a bunch of sacks last year, and Kevin King had a bunch of picks last year. Doesn't really mean you're an elite football player, but it's not a bad stat to have, I guess. Here's what I really want to highlight, though. And in case there are other people in the Tanyan is a freak and Sternberger is a loser uh, category. Shush, I'm trying to do something right now. Um, in year one for Mr. Bobby Tanyan, he played 68 snaps. He had, uh, let's see, five targets, four receptions, 77 yards, and a touchdown. Jace had four targets, three receptions, 15 yards, and a touchdown. In year two, Bobby had uh, 15 targets, 10 receptions, 100 yards, and a touchdown. Jace's year two, 15 targets, 12 receptions, 114 yards, and a touchdown. Jace is currently ahead of what Robert Tanyan did last year, just last year in his year two, at this point in the season. The grades, by the way, are almost identical. Jace was a 60.1, Tanyan was a 60.3 in year one. Robert Tanyan went down to a 55 overall grade in year two. Jace went down, is down at a 56.8 in year two. The grades are almost identical. The stats are almost identical. Robert Tanyan in year three, despite all that, has a breakout year. But Jace is a bum. We should disregard him. Gutekunst is a loser. He doesn't know how to draft, and we should cut Jay Sternberger, and we need to sign Robert Tanyan to a $15 billion deal because he's elite. Don't do this. Don't do this to me. And again, I'm not. The big point here isn't to trash Robert Tanyan. It's to bring a little bit of sanity to it, to kind of bring us back to reality. He's doing a really good job, at least some of the time he is. Again, he does have a big pile of touchdowns, but he's only scored touchdowns in about half the games this year. He didn't score a touchdown against the Jaguars, the 49ers, the Vikings, the Texans, the Buccaneers, or the Vikings again. He got less than 50 yards against Indy, Philadelphia, Jacksonville, Houston, Tampa Bay, Detroit, San Francisco, and Minnesota and has yet to reach 100 yards in any game this year, or probably ever in his career, I guess, despite having a huge pile of deep passes. So again, I'm happy that he's contributing. I'm happy that we got a guy that can thrive in what Matt LaFleur's scheme is providing, which is largely to just scheme him wide open down the field. And and again, part of the problem is, and I, I do this with college scouting too, and it's a big part of the reason why there are certain guys and there are certain highlights of people that I'm just not impressed by. One of the things I will never get over that annoys me was Ezekiel Elliott. I went back and watched Ezekiel Elliott in college. I mean, I didn't go back. It was prior to him getting drafted. But I remember watching him and not really being all that impressed because his offensive line was so good, he ran through wide open holes, ran up the field, and there were just no defenders anywhere. That doesn't impress me, right? It's a 77-yard touchdown. Everyone's like, dude, he's a freak. No, you don't need to be a freak to run through a huge hole and run with nobody around you. That doesn't make you a freak. Christian McCaffrey in college was a freak. The stuff that that guy was doing was super freaky. 
Ezekiel Elliott didn't impress me until he got into the NFL, and then I started seeing other things that I didn't see in college. I'm not saying I was necessarily right about Ezekiel Elliott. I'm just saying that kind of stuff drives me nuts. So even in the pros, there are really good plays, like that throw and catch to Devontae when there were two guys right there. Beautiful throw, unbelievable catch. Wasn't a touchdown, wasn't the deepest throw in the world, right? And then you got the touchdown to Robert Tanyan, where Robert Tanyan is wide open. Why? I think there were two of them, where he's just standing there like, hey, hello, hello. I mean, it doesn't make him a bad football player, but when nobody covers you and you're just standing around in the end zone, like, hey, dude, you want to throw me the ball? That doesn't make you an elite tight end. So there are things that he does that are great. He's actually really fast, and I hope that we can maintain this. I hope that he can stay at this level. I'm just, it's, it's cautious optimism, and I want everybody to be a little bit more cautious because we're treating him like George Kittle, and that's a little silly right now. His pass blocking grade is a 53. His receiving grade is a 70. His overall grade is a 68. He's ranked like 24th out of all the tight ends. He's graded highly in four games, i.e. 70 or above. Everything else is below that. And again, the only reason I bring that up, because I know whenever people hear that, then they hate PFF. They love PFF when Aaron Rodgers is number one, and Devontae is number one, and Corey Lindsley's number one, and uh, Jair's number one. But they hate PFF, and PFF is trash when Billy Turner isn't number one, and Robert Tanyan isn't number one. Suddenly they're trash, right? The reason it makes me nervous is because they're not looking at a guy standing wide open and saying, wow, you get two points for that one, nor would I. So I'm happy it's working. That's cool. But let's rein it in on Robert Tanyan, and let's not give up on the guys we have. Just just word to the wise, especially my guy DeGuara. Don't do it. Let me bring up something else that's really annoying to me. Um, the J.K. Scott hate all of a sudden. I mean, look, I, I thought it was funny when we were dogging J.K. Scott for making tackles, but apparently some people are actually taking this serious. You've got to be freaking kidding me. You're watching J.K. Scott kick this ball out of the stadium, and the 10 guys on the field who get paid to bring that returner down fail to do their job, and the guy whose job it is to kick it and not have to tackle is the guy that you want off the team all of a sudden. Look, okay, cool, let's try to help him out with, here's how you tackle, you big seven-foot lanky alien-looking guy. Here's a couple tips from the linebacker coach on, on you know how to get in his way a little better or whatever. And by the way, he does get in the way, and nobody even comes up from behind to tackle him because they're so far out of position. I, I j- I'm, I'm so blown away by the fact that people take this seriously. And I, I, I was confused because I kind of thought, well, maybe people are mad about his punting. He's had a couple bad punts. But I, I found an article. It says, Packers, this is from uh, Tom Silverstein and Ryan Wood, which, you know, okay. Packers need to tackle punt coverage problem. And it starts with J.K. Scott. So immediately my thought is, okay, if you're being rational and not kind of stupid, this is saying you need to do a better job punting to give your guys a better chance, i.e. maybe don't kick line drives, kick it higher, something, right? Here's the what third paragraph in. The Packers have allowed punt return touchdowns in two games. The latest Jalen Rager, 73-yarder that brought Philadelphia within a touchdown in the fourth quarter uh, Sunday. Both times, Scott had a chance to bring down the returner before he reached the end zone, and both times he got juked out of his socks. No kidding, he's a punter! He's not supposed to get to the punter! Every single punt return, there's an opportunity for the punter to bring him down. Very rarely does the punter actually bring him down unless your name is Pat McAfee. They didn't bring in J.K. Scott to hit people. Look at the guy. That's not how this works. That's, I mean, that's literally the same thing as if Aaron Rodgers throws an interception 
and on the return, Aaron Rodgers has a chance and doesn't bring the guy down. And I know he has done it like once. There's that one time he comes flying and smokes a guy out of bounds. Cool. He's had 900 attempts at it. Okay, that's an exaggeration, but whatever. doesn't have to be a pick six. It could just be a pick. Why didn't Rodgers bring him down? <laughs> Nobody would even say that if Aaron Rodgers got pushed out of the way or didn't bring a guy down. You know how I know? Because I've seen it before, and nobody got mad about it. Nobody said worst draft pick in history because Aaron Rodgers didn't bring down the guy when he threw an interception. And even in that case, Aaron Rodgers is the guy that threw the interception, so it's still a bad example because Aaron Rodgers messed up twice now. Threw an interception and didn't make a tackle. But nobody cares because he's not the tackling guy. He's the throwing guy. How unbelievably dense can we be to say that the, the punting failures come down to J.K. Scott not making tackles on punt coverage? I feel like I've been wasting my time this whole time trying to have honest intellectual conversations with people who think that punters should be better tacklers. Wow, I've made a serious mistake. No wonder my numbers are so low. Nobody wants to talk about serious things. I should just be sitting here making like fart noises or something. Like idiocracy. Look, if, if, if you wish that he had done better, yeah, totally. That has nothing to do with how we're going to fix special teams. Again, if you don't like his punting ability, fine. We can have that discussion. But having a meltdown about his tackling ability, and we're just going to let all the other guys off the hook, whose job it is to never let him get to the punter, he, I mean, oh my, it's a 73-yard return. When did he meet up with J.K. Scott? At the 20-yard at the line? So we got 50 yards of failure by the guys who are supposed to stop him as soon as he touches the ball, and J.K. Scott doesn't bring him down at the 20, and J.K. Scott needs to be off the team. Wow. Brilliant analysis. People that have been covering the Packers their entire lives, and this is what they write articles about. By the way, let's just completely forget the part where not only was it a booming punt with 4-5-5 hang time, which is a lot of hang time, which means it hung in the air forever. He dropped it. He dropped the ball. They should have already been there with 4.55 seconds of hang time. They still didn't get down there. He dropped the ball, had enough time to pick it up, and still returned it for a touchdown. They also mentioned in the article, well, he kicked it in the middle of the field. It should have been off to the side. All right, fine. That was a failure. Doesn't matter. How many times did our guys recover punts in the middle of the field and didn't get touchdowns? Like nearly every single time? That is a lame excuse to try to pin this on the punter because you're mad he didn't make a tackle. They apparently even asked Matt LaFleur about it because they got him to make a quote, which I guarantee Matt LaFleur didn't bring this up on his own because he's not that stupid. What do you think about the game, Matt? Well, I'll tell you what, J.K. Scott's a freaking loser. I'll tell you right now, if he doesn't start tackling people, he's off this team. I promise you this didn't come up organically. Here's his quote. I think it's just a, uh, more or less a mindset uh, when you get in that situation. What we're going to tell him is, hey, take your shot, man. Make him cut it back, whatever. Hopefully the pursuit is there. But it does us no good when we're backpedaling and the guy is giving us moves and those guys are typically going to be a little bit more athletic than most punters. Wait, wait, whoa, 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 Matt. Matt. Jalen Rager is more athletic than a backpedaling J.K. Scott? I don't know about all that. He goes on to say, so you got to close the space and just take a shot, and if you miss him, great. In other words, I don't know, man. Take just, just, just swing and miss. At least you swung. He's basically putting it out there that you're, you're probably going to fail, but at least try and fail. Because it's not his job. If we're to the point where success and failure comes down to teaching our punter how to tackle, our special teams really, really sucks. 
If I'm the special teams coach, I'm going to go into that room and I'm going to say, I'm not going to teach him for one second how to tackle because the next time a return man even gets to our punter, you're losing your job. You bunch of morons. Do your job. And by the way, the guys on special teams are not looking at J.K. Scott saying, thanks a lot, dude. They know they failed. The other 10 guys on the field know it was their fault, not J.K. Scott's fault. Menenga knows it was their fault, not J.K. Scott's fault. Matt LaFleur knows it was their fault, not J.K. Scott's fault. Again, at best, we're going to pin this on him like, dude, try to kick it to the sideline, not in the middle of the field. Okay, sorry. 4-5-5 five, five, hang time, and he dropped it. That should have been a fumble recovery because there should have been guys down there with the ball hanging up in the air that long. Nobody was there. Blame J.K. Scott. Oh, my goodness. And I've, I've consistently said that, you know, grading or judging or whatever punters is really, really hard because the stats are all trash. I mean, I, I mean, by themselves, they don't mean anything to me, right? Net punting yards is stupid because all that is is how far you kicked it minus how much your other guys on special teams allowed him to return the ball. So your stats depend on everybody else, which means it's a garbage stat. Yards per attempt also doesn't make any sense. Because it depends where you're punting it from. If you're at the 50-yard line, you don't want to kick it 70 yards. That's going to go into the stands and knock out some old lady's tooth. So distance, yards per attempt, net yards are all stupid. Inside the 20 kind of makes sense. Although sometimes you're too far away. Although not usually, but still sometimes. But either way, if it gets returned, then it doesn't count as inside the 20. Hang time is kind of interesting, but sometimes you're kicking more line drive than hang time. So all I'll say right now is that J.K. Scott is grading as the 6th best punter in football. He has the fourth best overall hang time at 4.51 second. One of the really interesting things, too, is if you look at net yards, J.K. Scott is third from the bottom. He is surrounded by the worst punters in football. If you look at the grades when you sort by yards per attempt, you start at like the 26th overall and look through all the grades. Tell me when you find J.K. Scott. Actually, I'm going to start at 24 overall, all the way down to 37. 69, 64, 56, 55, 56, 58, 65, 66, 56, 51, 61, 75, 58, 60. One of these is not like the other. Why is J.K. Scott all the way down here with all these bad punters with this terrible net yardage? Because, again, net yardage is how much you suck as a punter, or how good you are as a punter, minus how good or sucky your punt coverage team is. This is the one glaring example of what they consider to be a very good punter, but is subtracting out a pathetic, putrid, horrible special teams unit. I was looking at this. I think it was Philadelphia. They had, let me just look real quick. This is taking way too, I haven't even gotten to PFF. I mean, technically this is PFF, but I was looking at the special teams for the Eagles because I, I never really look at special teams grades. I, I just, it doesn't matter all that much, but it's interesting here. Here are the top special teams. These are not kickers and punters. These are the guys that are on coverage units and return units and field goals and all that kind of stuff. Um, You've got, here are the grades, all all the way, the the guys that are good, right? Um, 86, 84, 83, 83, 82, 78, 77, 76, 74, 72, 70, uh, and then we'll throw in the 69.5, we'll round that up. So 12 guys, 70 and above, with the highest being an 86. In fact, there are five guys in the 80s. Here are the Packers' top-graded players. 76, 75, 73, 70, 69.7. Five players in the 70s compared to 12 and five guys in the 80s. We have five guys that don't suck at this. And by the way, one of them, the highest graded guy is Dominique Daphne, who has only had five snaps on special teams. So I don't know if that even counts. The only guys that seem to be regulars are um, Malik Taylor and Ty Summers. Those are the only two guys with 70 or above grades. One of them is 69.7, Malik Taylor. 
Those are the only guys that are like in the hundreds with uh, special team. Otherwise, you got Chris Barnes at 71 snaps, 73 overall, and Henry Black, the safety, 48 snaps, 75.8 overall. There are 50, oh, excuse me, there's more, continuing on. There are 61 players that have played on special teams. Four of them are decent. I mean, if, if we want to say all of the guys, fine, five. If we include the guy with five snaps and the guy that's technically a 69.7, not quite a 70, then we have five if we really stretch it. Out of 61, 39 out of 61 are 60 and above. Meaning, from uh, 42 through 61, they're all below average. Guys that have played multiple snaps, you've got Montravius, you got Chandon Sullivan, you got Jay Sternberger, uh, you got Will Redmond, you've got Vernon Scott, you got James Burgess, you've got Kamal Martin, you've got Kingsley Kiki, you got Kadar Holman, uh, let's see, we'll say Tyler Irvin ish, I guess he's 60. And then a bunch of guys with, you know, 10, 20, 30 snaps. I've just excluded all those guys. Special teams is a nightmare. And J.K. Scott isn't perfect, and if you want to say that he could be better, and if you want to say I still say we shouldn't be drafting punters, fine, say that. That's a separate thing. I don't want to hear anybody say that J.K. Scott is trash because he didn't make a tackle. Do not say that. For your own sake, if you believe it, that's fine. Go believe it, but believe it in private. Don't let everybody know. Keep that to yourself. Because if people find out that that's how you think, you're going to have a rough life, man. It's like people that believe in Bigfoot, like, cool, man, stay in your basement, like, do some research, it's a fun hobby. Don't go telling people about it. You're not going to be invited to Christmas because you're weird. You're going to scare everybody. They're going to worry about you. Like, do you think he's serious? Like, does he actually think it's like a thing? Chupacabra! It's out there, man. At the very least, Bigfoot is about as real as tackling punters. So if you believe one, I guess, you know, I could understand believing the other. But come on, let's let's try to be a little bit serious about this. It's been a way too much. I, this was a, a really supposed to be a good day, and I'm just <laughs> so, I tried to. I made a new coffee, and um, technically, I mean, granted, I made it last night. It's my daughter's birthday, so we had French silk pie, which she requested for some random reason, which is amazing. It might be my favorite pie, but it's way too rich. So I had to have a little bit of coffee, but it was seven o'clock, so I could only have a sip. So I got coffee, which is great because I don't have to wait to brew it which always takes so long, and I don't like that. But you wake up, and I didn't want to leave the burner on because that's not a good idea, so I just left it off. Again, I'm not complaining, but I'm just saying it's new coffee, it's cold coffee. Maybe that's contributing. I'm not sure. But it does make me angry because I didn't realize that the Packer fan base had just completely turned on J.K. Scott, and now I'm not happy. When you want to come for Rashawn Gary, like, I'm, I'm going to get you to calm down. I get it. Like, yeah, no, he's not. he's definitely not good enough. But you still need to calm down. Coming for Jace, like, yeah, I mean, completely understand, but we, we should probably wait. Coming after JK, though? JK47. You're out of your mind. Anyways, I got to take a break, and then we're going to do some rapid fire, look at a couple different interesting little tidbits. Then we'll get out of here. A couple things. Um, I mentioned the got some NFL draft stuff over at my YouTube channel, Pack Daddy NFL. If you're just casually interested in the draft at all, the first round mock, my first one in like two months, I didn't realize it had been that long, but it went up yesterday. So please go check that out, like and subscribe. Um, I've got the Jets seven round mock coming out today. It's based on the first round mock, which is something I've never done before, but it's kind of interesting. I kind of piggyback off of that and just go out into seven rounds. So I've got the Jets today coming out and then the Jaguars tomorrow and then um, 
I've got them all recorded, but not quite finished editing and whatnot. So I gotta, I'm, I'm against the clock, but I've got it all the way through Sunday, and then hopefully on Monday it'll be the next first round mock. And it's seven days a week on that too, because I'm a psychopath. That is until my wife says you're you're doing too much, you need to stop. But in the meantime, I'm just gonna keep keep going a million miles an hour here. Uh, get in the Packing a Podcast Facebook group, like the Packing a Podcast Facebook page, Cheese and Packers Facebook page. Sign up for the newsletter, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you'd like to support the podcast. Otherwise, the best way to support the podcast is to get the word out. Tell people directly, invite them to the group, invite them to the pages. Also, there is a mock draft group and whatnot, too. Uh, I don't have any links or anything, but if you're interested in the draft, just just hit me up. Because that's a whole other world that I'm a part of that, you know, if you're into that, I'll get you all plugged into to that part of what I do. Anyways, let's take a break because we got to get rocking. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So I want to start with the defense because PFF was very unimpressed by what the defense did. As far as grades go, this might be one of the actual worst in terms of how many guys graded out well. In this case, the answer is two, and their grades were in the 70s. The only two guys that got grades in the 70s were Dean Lowry and Jair Alexander. Jair was the highest at 75.7, 74.2 coverage grade, 72.5 tackling, 73.7 run defense, which is awesome when he's just solid across the board. He just It wasn't an elite thing in any one category, but he's just solid across the board, which is huge. They had him down for five targets, only one reception for 32 yards. They did, uh, oh, they did. They credit him for that one touchdown pass, which is probably why this is as low as it was when the one touchdown pass, or when the one reception is a 32-yard touchdown pass. Um, That's probably going to ding you a little bit, but still, um, only one of five, and he also had two pass breakups on that. So he just, I mean, he had a real good day. Again, I don't know how they do their grades. It doesn't matter. Again, if if you don't like what they say, Go back and watch it and draw your own conclusion. I obviously, I mean, there's some of these things I don't even want to bring up 
because I'm happy with the performance and the grade is real bad. Right, so it's like if I bring it up, everyone's just going to turn the show off. So I don't know if I even want to do that. But let's stick with the positive here. And if you want any specifics, you can just message me because, again, I'm just not going to bring it up. One of the real awesome things, and I understand the Eagles have a bad offensive line. It doesn't matter. They still did a good job, and I'm going to highlight that they did a good job. Um, 28 pressures was a season high for the Green Bay Packers. We had several people above 10%. We had eight people that brought pressure on this sacred day. The best of which were Dean Lowry with five, Rashawn Gary and Zadarius Smith with five. Um, in that order of being most impressive, because obviously the snap counts are very different. Dean Lowry got five pressures on only 19 attempts, putting him at 26% pressure rate, which is ridiculous. He doesn't ha- he does not have that many pressures at all this season. This was his highest as far as um, pressures go. I think second highest overall in terms of grade. Uh, last year, I went back and looked a little bit. I saw he had one game with six pressures, but definitely one of his better games overall. Good to see. I don't really expect it to be a long-term deal. Um, some guys are just, they, they flash, right? So I, I think this is just going to be a flash game for Dean Lowry, not necessarily a, oh, here he comes. Uh, Rashawn Gary being the next most impressive with uh, 20, uh, five pressures on 26 attempts. Well, here, let's do it this way. Here are the pressures. Uh, I mentioned Dean, Rashawn, and Zadarius. After that, Kingsley Kiki and Preston Smith each had four pressures. Kenny Clark had two, Raven Green had two, and Darnell Savage had one that comprises our 28 pressures. 10 sacks, which is not the total number, but again, they don't do half sacks, so it's uh, 10 people recorded a sack in this game. Uh, Rashawn Gary was credited with three, Zadarius and Kingsley Kiki with two, Dean Lowry, uh, Preston Smith, and Raven Green each with one. So they had Rashawn Gary down for five pressures and three sacks in this game. Fantastic effort by him. Again, grade not super spectacular, but again, I'm not really going to go into that. Mostly run defense. We'll just leave it at that. But in terms of how impressive these pressures were, five guys were over 10%. Dean Lowry at 26. Kingsley Kiki was actually at 22%. Rashawn Gary at 19. Preston Smith at 13.8. And Zadarius at 13.5. Not super elite elite, but that should keep that arrow pointing up. In fact, let's look at on the season. I haven't done that yet. I'm going to leave Dean Lowry out because I guess I just don't really care. But Rashawn is now officially at 12%, so that's solid. I mean, 12% is good. I'm good with 12%. Uh, Zadarius is at 10.0%. So, I mean, if, if he, he is just, I mean, he's teetering, man. He is teetering. And this is, look, I, again, I, I really don't want to be negative, and I know it's been a relatively negative day. But I mentioned this yesterday, and it's worth bringing up. I think Zadarius right now, despite the sacks, which PFF has him at 11 this is v- much closer to 2019 Preston Smith than 2019 Zadarius Smith, where there's a bunch of sacks, but it's really hollow. The pressures are actually extremely low. The sacks are way, way high as a proportion of uh, the total pressures. He's at over one-fourth of the time when he gets to the quarterback, it ends up becoming a sack. The fact that he is teetering on, on being bad in terms of you know being below 10%, as I've said, anything below 10% is bad. He's at 10.0%. So, I mean, he's done some great things. He still has some great games, but he is just really struggling to get at and above that 10% rate. Um, Again, this week he did at 13. Last week it was exactly 10. The week before that it was below 10. So, you know, the last three weeks, let's just say he hasn't even, he hasn't really graded out all that well. But still 10, so, you know. Preston Smith is up to 7%, which is actually a pretty big boost considering what he was at at one point, which is absolutely horrible. 7% is still terrible. Um, and he's actually over, only over, been over 10% once in the last three weeks, which was this game. So, I mean, 
Look, bottom line with Preston, PFF has given him a 70 or above grade once this season. That was against Jacksonville. So, I mean, it's it's just, it's been it's been bad, man. Again, seemingly everybody's doing a little bit better, which is great, but it's still not anywhere near where it should be. Finally, Kingsley Kiki is at 9, had to sneeze 9%. Not great, but again, this was a pretty big boost to get four pressures on 18 attempts this week. It's hard when you don't get a lot of attempts, because there's going to be games where you get zero. Right? If you have zero when you have 10 attempts... I mean, one is kind of what you are looking for. So if you don't quite get there, it's like, you know, that's just 10 where you didn't get anything. Whereas, who knows, if he could have had 20 attempts, maybe he'd had two. I don't, you know, I don't know. Low attempts is tough. You might get those situations where it kind of comes in bunches, like, you know, Zadarius or whatever, toward the end of the game, they started getting a bunch. If you're Kingsley and you're getting 10 attempts, it's you're not likely to be in on that as much. And then we have Kenny, who is still probably the biggest disappointment um, at 6.7%. The guy got a massive contract. It looked like he was bouncing back. Week 10 against Jacksonville, uh, he at least graded out well, mostly against the run. Then week 11, he graded out and got four pressures and 30 attempts, which isn't elite, but at least it's decent. The next week, he graded out horribly, but four pressures and 37 attempts. It's at 10%, and then this week, he graded out in the 40s, almost 30s. It was 40.0, and had two pressures on 31 attempts. So, I mean, right now, Kenny Clark is grading out as a subpar defensive tackle despite being paid as a top-five tackle. I don't know what the problem is, but this is a serious problem. And and the fact that we're talking about, well, we need to go out and get a defensive tackle in the draft. Dude, no, we paid this guy to be a really good defensive tackle, and he's the worst defensive tackle on our team right now. It's just, I mean, it's wildly unacceptable. Wildly. 64.9 overall grade. He's grading out as the 63rd overall defensive tackle in football. 63rd. There's 32 teams in the NFL. He's barely like a DT2 right now. Barely. Again, I don't know what the problem is. Figure it out. Fix it. Anyways, very, very quickly need to flip over to the offensive side of the ball. Um, This is where the positive news resides. Not that there were a ton of players that graded out super high that were 6 out of 18. But Jamal Williams, Alan Lazard, Malik Taylor, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, and Aaron Rodgers in reverse order were the best players. The real, real highlight here is Aaron Rodgers. Uh, 96.9 is the highest grade of any quarterback this season. He replaced the last highest graded quarterback grade this season, which was his own grade in week one, which I believe was a 96.0 or something. It also replaces his second highest grade ever. I think he had like a 97 once or 97 some. This was close to being his highest grade ever, but uh, he just replaced his second highest grade ever for the second time this year. So, I mean, he is just absolutely out of control. His his passing grade was actually a 97.1. I should have looked a little bit more closely at whether that is a new record for him or not. Probably not, but it's worth looking at, I guess. But not today because I'm out of time. Uh, By far the highest grade Aaron Jones has received. He actually hasn't graded out all that well again not super interested in having that conversation. I know he's had good games. Again, there's a difference between stats and, and all. however they end up grading people. If you disagree, that's fine. Don't care. It doesn't matter. Point is, they saw something special in this. They gave him basically an elite running grade in this game. Uh, Devontae Adams, 88.3, borderline elite. That's going to keep him at the top, I guarantee it. He right now has a 92.4 overall grade. The fact that he's played all these weeks and is maintaining a 92.4 overall grade is insane. I've been talking for a while now about I don't know when his peak stops, right? Starting in 2015, his grade was a 59. That was back when everybody said we should cut him. 2016, he has his first kind of breakout year, but he was decent, not elite, 72 overall grade. 2017 is when he really came into his own, 80 overall grade. 2018, 87. 
At that point, you're thinking, okay, he peaked. He's going to regress a little bit. That's way too big of a jump. 2019, 88. He went up a little bit. It was 87.8, went up to 88, and you're thinking, okay, he basically leveled off. This is where he starts to come down. Nope, 88 goes up to 92.4. I'm waiting for that big regression. It's still not happening yet. At some point, he's got to top out. You can only get to 100, and that's going to be impossible. So absolutely dominant from the offense. You love to see it. You love to see the consistency. And Aaron Rodgers also um, has one of the great things about this. He started off real hot. Then there was the the bye week where things kind of got rough. It was a 44.7 overall grade for him. And he just completely fixed it. All right, from there he went to a 74, from there to an 81, there to a 91. Granted, he didn't grade out all that well against Indy also. But, I mean, after that, 84 against Chicago, 96.9 against Philly. I mean, he's been red hot with the exception of basically two games, Tampa Bay and Indy. Indy probably would have been a lot worse if not for that first half, right? He balanced out as basically average because the first half he was white hot. The second half, it was ugly. Um, the, the two guys that graded out really poorly, Equinemius and Marquez Valdez. Scantling, everybody else was pretty average. In terms of looking at this offensive line, which again did a good job, Billy Turner was the highest graded pass blocker, so there you go. He kicked back into right guard. I think this is his first time being the highest graded pass blocker. Um, I mean, it, look, it, this is it, at least this is nice because this is an area where PFF and everybody else kind of agree, so I don't have to wonder why things are so weird. Right? The stats say he did a good job. ESPN says he does a good job. PFF said a good job. Now we can all just say, okay, he did legitimately did a good job this week, at least in pass blocking. It's the first time since week 9 that he's gotten at least a 70. It's the first time since week 7 that he's been in the 80s, and that which was the only two times this year that he had. But again, the stats are just, I mean, it's just dominant all year. He's allowed two sacks, three hits, and 16 hurries. I'll take that from any offensive lineman any day of the week. Um, after that, you had David Bakhtiari, who did a great job. Elton Jenkins graded out well, which is good because he's been grading very poorly recently. Uh, Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones, and Alan Lazard at 69. Um, the only really bad pass blocking grade was Mr. Robert Tanyan at 39.5. He only had two attempts, so it doesn't really matter when it's that low, but two attempts, he allowed one hit, so 50%. Obviously, that's not great. Run blocking is kind of hilarious. I mean, it's not good because the entire, basically everybody was, was pretty bad. Um, nobody was above a 60. It was all 50s and 60s, but there was this one guy. <laughs> there was this one guy who had a 94.7 run blocking grade. And this isn't a small sample size. This is 14 times he was run blocking, and he got a 94.7 grade, and that's Mr. Alan Lazard. you, you got to just love the guy, don't you? I mean, look, he's not an elite player, but, man, he's just just so happy to have him on the team. Anyways, i, I got to cut it there. We're going to be kind of short on details. What I'll do is, if you have any questions, I'll try to remember to put a post somewhere, a Facebook group or something. If you have specific PFF questions, let me know. I may or may not answer them, but because I didn't go in depth and because, you know, there's usually questions outside of what I cover, um, there's a lot of information, a lot of details, a lot of stats. There's also specifics in terms of coverage, who covered who, um, and how well so-and-so did against so-and-so. Um, whatever. If you have any specific questions, let me know what you think. Plenty to cover for tomorrow, but but I'll add in that little little bit as well. Otherwise, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.